0: Hello and welcome to a podcast about tactics, I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined by one of the most mellifluous voices in the football media, it's Alex Collins. Alex, how are you? I'm good, thanks John. It's it's good to be on, I'm looking very forward to gauging actually your opinions on Lyon. Mm.
1: Don't normally get to speak about this club to people, so yeah I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and it's not been a great day for your other club Arsenal, so maybe, maybe you're focusing on the right <laughs> club today. Yeah, yeah, we move on. <laughs> Alex is a scout for AFRICON, has written for Scouted Football and is one third of the Football Per 90 podcast. But today, as Alex has said, we're talking all about one of the most romantically named clubs in the world, Olympique Lyonnais, not just about them as a club, but from the perspective of a club who are known for their talent development and the impact that this has on their approach and the players that they produce. Before we begin, though, as ever, a reminder that one of the best ways for me to build my audience is by word of mouth. So if you do like this podcast, it would be great if you could recommend it to friends who you think would enjoy it. Anyway, enough of that. Time to get talking Lyon. Alex, let's start off by talking a little bit about the context. So I'm presuming a lot of my listeners may not know too much about Lyon. So if you could give us a broad brush strokes about where they're at and what they're known for, that would be great. Lyon, basically, probably the French club of the 2000s.
1: They won seven league titles in a row from, I think, 2001 to 2008. Those are all the titles they've won. So that kind of gives you an idea of their rise to prominence. So they've always been a big club in France. And yeah, I think nowadays they're very much known for being one of the biggest talent producers in world football, especially again in recent years with the current crop coming through now. We're also very much known for O.L. Feminin. And I guess also the club owner, um, Jean-Michel Aulis. Very much, yeah, his own character known.
0: Let's start off actually talking a little bit about Jean-Michel Aulas. As you've said, he's an interesting guy. He buys Lyon in the 1980s, 87 to be precise, and he makes them into one of the richest clubs in the world. So could you just give us a little bit of info on Aulas and, and the impact that he's had on Lyon, and, and maybe we can move that towards the youth development side of things as we go.
1: So yeah, he took over in 1987, and I think we were a League 2 club at the time. And yeah, within two decades... He kind of made us the most successful club in France during the 2000s, basically won seven titles by the end of his first 20 years at the club. A big part of it is he's also took the club out of a lot of debt. And, you know, he just made a lot of decisions that have led to the club being in a very stable financial position, especially relative to other French clubs. And of course, I think a nice way of linking into the youth aspect is how he's kind of dealt with the youth football and the focus on youth football has been a massive part of that sort of financial project.
0: In terms of the, the overall running of the club, how much impact does he have on, on the day-to-day running and, and at the level of the actual football on the field? So in recent years, there's kind of been some sort of discussion of him moving
1: away. But before that, he's, he's very much completely hands-on with the club. He okays every decision. Compared to other presidents of clubs, he's one of the most hands-on in pretty much all areas. The only areas he really leaves under sort of the, I would say, autonomy of his colleagues would be probably the academy. He leaves under Jean-Francois Rouilly and then also Earl Feminine, but he's still very, he keeps an eye on both of those. So I think he's very involved. I think the last couple of years, there was sort of this idea that he was going to move away and leave it to Juninho. But I think, as we'll probably get on into the pod. Part of the reason Juninho left is because Olis is just so completely
0: hands-on on the club that it's it's his club, it's his image. Yeah, as you say, we will move on to talk a little bit about Janino in a minute. But before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about the youth development aspect. So the nickname of the club is Legón, which means the boys, the lads. Obviously, that suggests that there is a, an, an emphasis on on talent development. And you've mentioned already that a, a big part of the reason that Lyon was so successful was that they, they had this this pathway of developing talent and then selling off for profit and being able to put themselves at a pretty good position financially per other clubs in, in Ligon. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that youth side, the development side of things, and, yeah, give us a flavour of, of what Lyon looks like from the point of view of talent development.
1: Yeah, so I think first things is actually, and I discovered this doing my due diligence for the part, but actually Legon is isn't linked to the club's focus on youth. It's actually apparently what the people from, from the region are called, so it's, it's even broader than the club, and so it's very much referred to Ligue 1 as the fans, the players of the club and just the general people from Lyon. Then otherwise, it's way before my time, but ever since the 70s, youth's been a a big part of Lyon's sort of project, as well as, you know, attacking football. Two of those philosophies that they still keep through to today. There's always been a big emphasis on especially using players from within the region, from around the region. So they have many club legends from before the years that are still live in Lyon and spend their entire careers in Lyon. I think, though, when Ole's came in, it became definitely, I think there was a sense of a revamping in terms of how they dealt with the academy. And definitely, for a club that was struggling financially, just the investment that he put into the club's academy was huge. I mean, today we we invest $10 million a year into the academy. And just to give you an idea of the emphasis we place on it, we have 15 youth scouts hired for the academy, whereas we just have three senior team scouts. So that's sort of... Very clear indication of where Orlis and the club focuses a lot of its investment.
0: And then I guess in terms of some of the names that we all have seen in world football have gone through that academy, have you got any names for us? I think the
1: most well-known, especially hot topic at the moment is Benzema, but he came through in a strong 87 generation with Hatem Benafa as well as Loic Remy. Then you've got your, your Lacazette, your Anthony Lopez still at the club. Then you get TT Fakir. Martial and then I think as we get to kind of the most recent guys I think Awa sort of in a little bit of a space of his own 98 the guys before that were like 95 96 and then we've got the kind of 2000 guys coming through we had a very strong 2000 crop with Pierre Kalulu now at AC Milan Amin Guiri now at Nice and then Melvin Bard also at Nice and of course Kakare the the one remaining guy still with us at Lyon and then we've also got a couple guys coming through Lukeba 2002, Malagosto 2003, Shirky reportedly the biggest talent we've ever had at the club even perhaps bigger than Benzema according to the academy itself and and bosses of the academy and then also yeah we've got 2004 I think another guy coming through is Alarouche who I'm quite excited about so it's a strong stream of talent that we keep
0: we're pushing out. In terms of practically, how does this work? Have Lyon sort of become the Chelsea of France? Do they pull players uh, from all around the country? I mean, if they've got 15 youth scouts, then it suggests that their reach is pretty broad.
1: I wouldn't call us the Chelsea of France, but I think there are a lot of similarities. First of all, just in terms of the investment, I think we invest a lot more compared to any other club, maybe besides PSG. And then while there's a big emphasis on the Lyon region for our recruitment, we also have a very big presence in both Paris and in and then around Marseille, um, specifically for the sort of the players that the clubs local to there don't pick up. I mean, just to just offhand, Martial and Hatem Ben were both picked up from Paris, and Alarusha just mentioned he came from a little town just about one hour outside of Marseille that we picked him up from. So yeah, we've got quite a,
0: a bigger reach. In terms of the context of Lyon, then I do want to talk a little bit about Liga in general before we jump into talking about the the club as it is at the moment. When we were prepping for this podcast, you did mention to me that you think there's a bit of a tactical revolution taking place in the league and a tactical revolution in the sense that the league is becoming more tactically savvy, you think? So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think that leads us then quite nicely into discussing Janino, as you say, and the impact that he had or failed to have at Lyon.
1: Yeah, so I told you tactical revolution, but I kind of think, thinking back, maybe I should say more of a tactical evolution or like modernization, right? Because nothing new or revolutionary is really happening in a tactical sense in League 1, but it's very new in the sense that actually there is sort of a tactical modernization happening. And I, I feel that compared to the other top five leagues, League 1 has been largely behind the other leagues by a good couple of years in terms of like a tactical enlightenment, if you want to say. And I think it's an exciting sort of time for the league. I mean, you've had guys like Bielsa in the past, right? But I don't think you've ever had so many different sort of tactically influenced coaches coming into the league all at once. You've got your Sampeoli, you've got your Kovac, you've got Piero Bosch. And then as well as guys like Stefan and Galtier, who are actually French coaches that their influences aren't as insulated as, as previous French coaches have been within the league's. So I think it's very much in its nascency, but it will be interesting to kind of see going forward how much Ligong can actually catch up and compete with the other clubs because one of my kind of hot takes that I've kind of had for a while is I think if you compare player quality within the leagues, League actually stacks up very well against Serie A, La Liga, even Bundesliga, but I've always kind of thought that the tactical inferiority of the, the teams and especially the fact that there's not much tactical diversity that these teams face within their own league or have in the past until the last three or four years has kind of put them in like bad footing in Europe. And I think it'll be interesting to see going forward where the
0: French clubs may actually be able to become a bit more competitive from a tactical point of view. We're going to talk in the final section of this podcast about the impact that the tactical footing, as you call it, has had on the players that are going through that system. So we'll keep that in mind. But before we get to Petter Bosch and and the current situation in Lyon, let's just talk a little bit about Janinho because he was brought in, I guess, as a sporting director, director of football, and attempted to modernise the club a little bit, but eventually fell out with Aulas in the end. So do you want to talk us through that period of of having Janino and him attempting to try and follow the that modernization period in French football and it not really working out?
1: So I think, first of all, it's just important to kind of know that Oles is very much, when he came in, you know, he, he had a lot of new ideas, but now he's very much sort of the face of the French old god, if, if you will. So, you know, Juninho coming in and actually being given that control quite willingly by Oles at first says quite a bit about where the club was going. He came in in 2019, especially moving on from Genesio, who was sort of a very classic Oles coach, I would say, in terms of that tactics weren't very important so much as like the sort of approach of wanting to be dominant without necessarily having tactics of like this is how we're going to use these players to be dominant, just kind of letting your good players play football. And then Juninho came in, pretty much immediately was able to get Silvino hired, which was and all is the first non-French coach ever hired before that was 14 straight French coaches. So I think that was quite big, especially considering Silvino didn't really have a background in coaching, That that was his first proper gig. And it went horribly, to be fair. It was a very, very bad first few months of football before he got fired and replaced by Rudy Garcia, which wasn't a Juninho pick, it was a Oles pick. So I think Juninho kind of messed up coming and came a bit hot in that sense, but he also did a lot of good in terms of he got us Paquette, he got us Bruno Gumares. And then there were other aspects of the coaches that he wanted maybe... When he kind of settled into the job a bit more, he was he was pushed hard for Deserby at the beginning of the season, who was available and apparently keen to come. Unfortunately, Oles kind of vetoed it purely because Zerbi couldn't speak French, and they kind of settled on a compromise in Peter Bosch, which is still still an exciting, at least for me, it was an exciting recruitment because you know this is probably a coach that is tactically interesting. There's something about him that we haven't had with previous coaches. I mean, the guy before him was Rudy Garcia. I think he's a decent tactician and he has good sort of ability to get his teams working solidly, if not excitingly, in transition, especially against bigger sides. But nothing exciting about using the players that he has to kind of dominate teams, which is something that for all of his flaws, I think that's what Peter Bosch wants to do. You know, he wants his team to have that sort of total domination in the counterpress, in the attacks against his opponents. So yeah, I think it was a it was a big thing. Unfortunately, about six months in with Janinho, right at the end of last year, he resigned, citing mental fatigue. Ultimately, Janino's sort of stay was a failure, but it's a bit sad because I feel like he never really had the proper control or influence that he wanted to have. And I think it worries me that maybe if Peter Bosh, who I know we're going to get onto, if he doesn't work out, then this will kind of go back into a shell of you know like insulated french footballer getting like Laurent Blanc or someone like that in who he, who he wanted after Rudy Garcia while other clubs like Rennes, Lenz, Strasbourg,
0: Nice obviously are all revolutionizing themselves and evolving and modernizing. Now that's really interesting, and I think it gives us a really good context then to move and to talk a little bit about where where Leon are at right now. I like to have a, a big question that we focus every episode on in this podcast, and in this episode, I think we're going to focus on the impact that Leon's youth development have on their overall tactical approach. So we're going to work our way up to that. We're going to talk a little bit about Peter Bosch in the current season, the way that the team are playing at the moment, and then we're going to maybe step back a little bit and look at some of the big picture questions as well. Before we get into Leon properly, you've already mentioned some of the previous managers but there is that sort of classic list of as you've said sort of standard French coaches who've been at the helm of Lyon in the last decade or so so you go from coaches like Claude Puel, Remy Gard, Uwe Fournier, Bruno Ganesio who you've already mentioned and then you have Silvinio, as you say the first non-French coach coming in the the Brazilian then going back to Rudy Garcia and then arriving at Peter Bosch the Dutch coach. In terms of the thread through these managers you've suggested that there's no real clear play style that, that links them. And you were worried that maybe we're going to end up going back in terms of Leon finding that thread of standard French coaches who can do just enough to keep them going. Could you talk a little bit about that thread? Is there any thread here at all? Or is it just the case that that Alas just wants solid managers, basically?
1: So I think there's a thread in terms of what's All those things he's going to get, especially with Silvino coming in, I remember reading a lot of things because there wasn't much to know about him, about his sort of, his philosophy was very much sort of 4-3-3, having lots of possession play control, using technical players and, you know, in tight spaces to kind of break through teams. And that's sort of the same thing that Genesio was supposed to offer. Rudy Garcia was a bit different because we kind of hired him in an emergency because Silvino really wasn't working. But Peter is another coach coming in that you know, has a sort of idea of possession, football, attacking play. Whether it's actually been a reality, for example, in the case of Silvino, it absolutely wasn't. In the case of Genesio, it was, but it wasn't tactically exciting football. I mean, it was very much sort of give the ball to Ndombele or Memphis and let him try make something out of this rather than actually, you know, trying to find like the third runner and breaking through, which is what we are seeing under Pedobar. So I think there's a general sort of vague idea of like attacking football, is what Aulis wants in the style of like Barcelona or Ajax sort of possession football, right? But yeah, we haven't seen a nice sort of thread through them. I think what you can say is up until Slovenia there was a strong thread of just French coaches who were relatively experienced within France, kind of knew what they were doing, didn't necessarily need to be more than that. I can't speak too much because I only really started following the club in 2015. I hardly remember... Fournier, and he hasn't had a job since since leaving us. So it's hard to speak with too much authority, but that's the general sort of sense of of the coaches that that we had right up until Silvino. And then since then, I think it was an ad hoc first attempt at trying to modernise the club, which has kind of led to like a half-and-half half compromise between the now departed Janinho and Olis when they landed on, on Peter Bosch.
0: And I guess... Petter Bosch then fits in quite nicely at the end of that thread as a manager who is known for his attacking style of play. So talk us a little bit about his his time at uh, Leon Obviously arrived in the summer of this season, so you've not had a huge amount of time to, to get to know him that much. But do you want to talk us through his time so far?
1: I don't know if I can first say like what I was expecting to see when, when we hired him, because I was actually quite high on on the idea when we did hire him. Part of that was because he was just so different to what we've had before. And also because I thought for all of his flaws, he would match up quite nicely versus the other coaches in the division, especially with guys that I didn't really regard, especially from a tactical level, like Genesio, just having that sort of step up and coach for me was significant. And another aspect is I really thought that the squad was going to was gonna suit him well. I mean, he has that sort of, you know, that famous four three three 3 3 that he really likes with the eights and the half spaces and the wing is wide and... You know, that full, committal, aggressive six. I really thought, I mean, the six, you kind of have Bruno Gumares, who I had in my head. I think he was the one I probably had the most doubts about because of his positional sort of discipline. But in terms of the eights, I mean, one thing I really did love in Rudy Garcia is how he used Paqueta, who he actually uses kind of a ball winning, kind of a what I call a pure eight. And people have memed me for it ever since. But just an eight who kind of won the ball, would get up and then affect play on both sides of the pitch. I thought he'd be kind of a perfect player to kind of fit in Kakere, of course. Awa was another player I could see him playing at 8. I mean, this is a guy who played Ziyech as a central midfielder at Ajax and turned Brandt into a, a central midfielder at Leverkusen. So I even had ideas that the Cherky would come in and even potentially play in the middle there, something I think he has a lot of potential for, right? So yeah, those were sort of my expectations of of what he would come in and what he would do. And it's been weird because I thought it was a good fit just in terms of the physical capacity. I think one of the reasons he kind of fell apart at Dortmund is he didn't really have the midfield that could support how, like, gung-ho his football was from a physical level. And I think you've got guys like Kakare and Paquette and Bruno Gimarec, all strong athletes, right? Yeah, so I just thought it, was, it would be a good fit for the sort of football he wanted to achieve. And we haven't even really seen him try the 4-3-3 properly since coming in. It's been a 4-2... pretty much from the start and I would even say it's a bit weird in terms of the way he started off was both Gumaresh and Kakare were his eights but they almost neither of them acted as a six I don't know if you noticed that in in his early games they kind of stayed quite high up and they would be sitting in those sort of half spaces and a lot of the progression through would be would be put through on, on just two center backs building out the back so yeah, he, he, it's been interesting not to see that he hasn't really tried to make use of the players we have in the way I thought he would. But I will say like there's been really nice things from the start in terms of his progression. I I think the way he builds us up through the half space is really nice. I really like him up until he gets to the the final third. And one of the issues there is I don't completely blame him. I think we only have, especially at the beginning when Dembele was in and out of fitness, we only really had Toko Kambi as someone who could be a proper outlet and and kind of keep that movement going, right, when you kind of get into that final third. What we've seen under bot, at least in possession, I think there's a lot more issues out of possession, right? But we see a really nice building, like, right up until we get to, to that final third. And the reason why we don't have a good continuation is because we, d- we have players up there who are attracted to the ball rather than actually trying to get into the next sort of position to receive and inside the box. And I think that's been that's been a, a major issue for him. And I do feel sorry. He he wanted a new centre forward. He wanted a right wing, and they gave him Shaqiri. It wasn't the type of player he was looking for. So yeah, I do have sympathies with him. But then, just in terms of defensively, right from the beginning, I think we've been very very poor. We have seen in the early
0: parts of the season the best and worst parts of Perabosh. Well, let's go on to talk about what you mean by the worst parts of Petr Bosch, because in my experience of Peter Bosch, that worst part is the fact that his out-of-possession approach isn't really enough to balance his in-possession approach. So could you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Basically, what, what you had is you had really good attacking play that wasn't really making that final difference, because I, I think it was a player issue. But also, when, when you kind of lost possession it would just be a lack of ability for his teams to keep in shape or have any shape at all, really, when losing possession. One of the things that I've kind of noticed is just when they win the ball back, they're always so flat. It almost looks like rugby, the way they, they attack when they've won the ball, because there's no real depth that they've created to to make those passes quickly. He's not necessarily high pressing, but he's high committal in his pressing. And it just it ruins his team's every time. And that kind of led to a sort of breaking point where he was losing or drawing a a number of games he shouldn't have, losing some quite badly. And then he kind of moved to three at the back, which kind of, I wouldn't even say it necessarily got better in a sense of how the team defended besides the fact that the spacing was better when they lost possession. There were more people in the right places. I think he did make good use of both Kakre and Goumere's mobility there because he basically played a five, two, three, and I think Kakare and Goumerech are two of the players that can actually make up that ground in the middle of the pitch. But besides that, I don't think there was much to be fond of in terms of the players actually marking or defending in transitions. Besides, yeah, just having more guys there.
0: Well, we'll talk about the ins and outs of the attacking and defensive play in a little while. But I do agree with you. For me, Petter Bosch is a transitional coach. And so I think when you guys go forward at speed, I think you look good. But it's just when the the initial directness gets slowed down, then I think that perhaps the the possessional ideas start breaking down a little bit. And obviously, that willingness to get forward and commit bodies forwards then raises questions about the defensive transition and the shape in in defensive transition as well. So we will talk a little bit about that season narrative of starting in about for being open at the back moving to a back 3 and then what we're seeing i think in more recent weeks which is moving back to that to that back 4 i think because as you've said when you commit a player back in a back 3 you're losing them from the from the forward line essentially and so again you're losing out a little bit in terms of the the attack right just to add to that i think what we've seen with his three at the back is it has worked really well and one of the things is that we've
1: actually seen pederbosch that i've never seen before is him compromising on his sort of his tactical philosophy, which, I mean, I view Pederbosch as a fanatic in terms of how he wants his teams to play, right? He's not like a practical coach in that sense. I think why we see so much tweaking from him is always because he's trying to, to get his system right, his system right, right? But I think one of the games that stands out to me from the season was was the PSG game because we defended very, very well. We held good shape. That was a game where we used the 5-2-3 out of possession with Paqueta Kind of either becoming a a five three two or five two three, and yeah, we held back a good. I mean, I know PSG have kind of struggled, right? But but it's still a strong side, and yeah, we we kind of dealt with them very very well. I think Luke had a very good game in possession that game in terms of just us transitioning, but yeah, it was just a completely different sort of game that that we we'd seen from Bosch, right? But I think the problem is, is that as good as that is. I don't think he's satisfied with making that sort of a default way of setting up. I think he wants to keep improving the system that he has. And then the other problem is that versus teams that sit back, the three at the back wasn't, it wasn't working. It was too stagnant. And I think it's just because you have one one less player taking up some kind of position in the offensive spaces.
0: The other big thing that happened, obviously, in the course of the season was the transfer window switch from, as you mentioned, Bruno Gumareche to Tongi and Dombele, who, yeah, obviously you'd had before. And I think that probably impacts the season narrative to an extent as well. So, interested in your thoughts on that.
1: I think it's had a good tactical aspect and a, a less good. I think the less good is that we don't move as quick with Tongi and Dombele. When, when he was under Genesio, I always kind of thought that that was a Genesio thing. And maybe it is from just a tactical development sort of point of view that he never got moving the ball so quick. But one of the things that has kind of happened is that Bruno Gmaric doesn't stay on the ball. He he gets the ball moving forward quickly. Whereas I think Dombele kind of waits around loiters looks for the best sort of angle, which is fine. And he's very, very good at that. But under Bosch, I think one of the best things about us is how quickly we get from our own half into their half. And he's kind of held us back in that sense on the other hand as we've progressed the season we are kind of holding possession a little bit more centrally higher up in the pitch I think you kind of saw that against West Ham in the first game and Ndombele just his ability to find angles and split passes has been really really important to us there I also kind of prefer Kakare and Ndombele sort of
0: the balance between the two of them so I think I think it's had its good and bad aspects well, let's just talk about the in-possession and out-of-possession stuff. In terms of the possession side of things, as you've given us, a, I think, a really good picture of, the, the sense I have it and from watching uh, quite a few games in the last couple of weeks, and I've mentioned before as well, that I see Leon as being actually quite a transitional team. They they do like to get forward quickly. They do like to get forward directly, and they, they can get into the, the final third really quickly, and that, I think, is when they are the most dangerous, but I do find that if the opponent slows it down, then what you start seeing is sort of patient build-up play, which is maybe not quite so productive as, as some of their quicker transitional stuff. So thoughts on that as a, as a summary of where Leon are at in terms of possession?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate, especially at this point of the season, what we're seeing in most games now. I think teams also know how to slow us down and then they're, they're not as threatened because none of our players really try to make those sort of runs in behind as long as they're kind of marking out Toko Akambi. There's no one else really making those sort of runs. Maybe Paqueta sometimes which has kind of limited us a lot. Interesting also that we brought in um, Roman Favre, another guy who likes to come towards the ball rather than running behind. So yeah, it's been, it's been a big issue for us. I think also just what you kind of have been seeing is that we've become kind of predictable also in terms of when things don't work, we kind of rely a lot on our pullbacks and it's become a bit predictable that you're going to get a Malo, Gusco or Dubois even
0: ball in from you know an early cross in. I think one of the most interesting questions that you can ask of any team about their in-possession stuff is where is the creativity coming from? Now that could be obviously an individual or it could be a particular tactical approach or a route that is run regularly. So how would you answer that question about Leon in terms of their possession stuff?
1: I think we're our best footballers players in the half spaces. In terms of we've spoken a lot about actually getting into the opponent's half, but I think also when we are in there, I really enjoy Something that I don't think we've seen really from Bosch in, in his previous sides, but how the, the fullbacks often come inside. Emerson, Dubois, sometimes, sometimes Malogosto as well. And kind of how we've used that alongside with guys like Awar or Roman Favre out and just that kind of connection. I think generally we do create the overloads we want to and we put balls in a decent spot, right? Cutbacks or from the wings. I would say that's probably where the most of our creativity comes from. While we're really good at cutting through teams through the middle in that middle third, we struggle a lot more once we're kind of there. And I think in front of the defense, and I'm not totally sure that I can make sense of why that is for every game. I feel like there's always a different sort of reason why, but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it just becomes very static. And the reason why we can kind of manufacture things when we get them up to either flank is because you get nice little rotations happening between the players. Whereas in the middle, if you don't have a runner making an early run or something like that, there's not much to go off. And for some reason, I, I think we do have the players to kind of pass and control just in around the box and, you know, link up. I think we've got Piquetta, our you've got players that really can do that. But for some reason, Bosch hasn't put that into practice, which is which is a shame.
0: Yeah, and it does feel a little bit like Mr. Dembele does become a little bit isolated. He sort of is the in-behind player, as you say, and you've got players like Paqueta and, and Auer who are playing in those wide forward positions who like to drop in and help out. I mean, particularly Paqueta. Paqueta is a is a player who actually, I think, will drop in and pick the ball up really deep and, and, and do things with it as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's something we've seen increasingly from him over the season, to be fair. Like, earlier on in the season, we were using him as a false nine. He was a lot more positionally, like, I would say, disciplined in terms of staying high or making making runs from deep but only getting involved higher, I think it may be a sense of frustration that over how the season's gone, that he keeps dropping deeper and deep. I think he also does, just on a personal level, I think he sees himself as, you know, the, the star player of the team, and he is a guy who wants to make things happen. So, yeah, I wouldn't even say that that's something that's tactically gone wrong, As just so much as Paqueta's frustrations over the season.
0: Talked a little bit about the single versus double pivot with Bosch because, as you've said in the past, Bosch has had a player who will play the single pivot, and I suppose to a certain extent that leads to some of the problems in transition, defensive transition, that his teams have had. But do you think there's any chance that Bosch will go to a single pivot at any point this season, or, or do you think that's going to be the ideal, or do you think the double pivot is here to stay? I think it's going to be double
1: pivot for the rest of the season. I mean, I don't think he would trust Dombelé, who is probably the best placed player. In terms of in possession to, to play there. He wouldn't trust him just to kind of have the defensive, I would even say mobility, to kind of play there. And then the, the other guy who who suits there and who played six under Rudy Garcia when we had sort of Paqueta and Auer as our eighths was Thiago Mendes. But the problem with him is he's just not aggressive enough for Bosch to want to play him as a, as a six. I mean, he's been playing him as a centre-back, actually. But he, he's not aggressive enough in the counter-press to push up... Even though I don't think he should be with the way our team is set out, I don't think he's someone Bosch will play there. So we don't actually have a player that will play there. Kakaray absolutely is in a six. So I think it's going to be something that we go into the summer with and potentially it's a position that we'll look at. I know we were looking at, I don't know the player particularly well, but Ugat from, I think, Sporting in the January transfer window. So I don't know if that's a player that kind of does hint at whether we want to go towards that sort of six.
0: Moves us kind of nicely on towards the defensive side of things then. So again, my fans' eye view, look at this, was that what I saw Bosch doing is having a mid-block with a fairly aggressive counter-press. And interesting hearing what you were talking about there in terms of sometimes the spacing being bad after you come out of that, counter-press if you turn the ball over uh, and not maintaining the spacing that you then need to be able to develop a a decent counter-attack off the back of that but obviously the aggressive counter press is is kind of necessary because Bosch is quite happy to leave a a fairly sparse rest defense he'll often just sort of have the two center backs and then inshallah I guess uh, uh, beyond that Um, so yeah what's your your thoughts on the on the defensive structure overall? I mean I think first of all I'm
1: actually interested again. your sort of like inside because I haven't been able to really work this out over the season but I don't know what he actually wants to do with his first line of press right I agree it's it's sort of a a mid-block that then becomes very committal that it almost feels like a high press right but it's never really clear whether he just wants his sort of and it's usually in a 4-4-2 so the two front guys right and then maybe the wider players in the four and the second one pushing up it's never really clear whether he actually wants to push them onto the flanks or whether kind of like how we see we've seen under Tuchel with Chelsea, how he just wants to keep them from progressing. Right. The only thing I can really make sense of is just that the players really want to win the ball or just kind of nick the ball off. There doesn't seem to be like a system or like a, an actual trap in place to kind of force them either to one of the flanks or just kind of close off the borders and just push them to either side. I think the best kind of time that I've we've seen that I think he doesn't really have a a plan to push them to either flank is the is the PSG match I was speaking about earlier. But besides that, it's never really been clear. And it kind of almost feels a little bit ad hoc, especially when you add in how just gung-ho it becomes when the press is triggered. That's sort of my my first problem. And then I think just the way you've got the second line of the press pushing up, it becomes very easy to break through those. I think one of the things we can look at is if you look at the West Ham game, it was very easy just to kind of trigger both of those first two lines and then just for I don't know, Declan Rice or whoever to kind of put a ball just in behind... Into that sort of bank of space to Michele Antonio, it's very easy to
0: sort of break through that press. In terms of the the counter press, for sure it feels as though. Peter Bosch has sort of arrived at this idea that, well, we want to be aggressive in our possession. And if you're going to be aggressive in your possession, then it sort of requires you to play a high-ish line. It, it requires you to commit players to that those direct attacks. And if you're doing that, then you do need to have this sort of fail-safe where if you lose ball, then you're going to counter-press quickly just to slow the the ball down. And I guess that, to all intents and purposes, that's, that sort of works. But like you say, the, the problem then becomes that if you are a transitional team and you don't have the ability to then take that that counter press and turn it into a counter attack, then I think it can it can lead to certain certain problems in terms of the high press. Yeah, I, I did get the same sort of sense that what you're talking about there was that the it didn't necessarily seem to have a point. Like generally, a high press the exists in order for you to get the opponent into a sort of area that is suitable for you. Right, it sets up your second line. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, and it doesn't really feel as though there's necessarily a particularly clear indication of, of, of what was going on
1: the other problem i've had about it is is that i do feel like it, it kind of is obvious that the way i mean spacing has been an issue especially in terms of depth right i think once you get further it becomes a width thing as well because for some reason we will have two players trying to press one of the attackers wide players but i think it doesn't really make sense to me why the team doesn't push higher like the, the back line isn't closer right because we kind of do leave these sort of banks of space that you're just leaving like two guys in Dombele and and Kakare or whoever to kind of defend. It doesn't really make sense why we employ a mid-block, but employ a mid-block with so much like commitment, right? I think, I don't want to go off too far, but it's just interesting in terms of my own sort of like understanding of the game over the the past few years. I think a a few years ago, I would have looked at this and thought this is a high press just because of how intense it is, right? Whereas look at Arteta and you kind of which is the other team, obviously, I watch a lot of, and you kind of think that's not really like a high press because they don't press high. But if you actually look in terms of like the lines of engagement, Arteta's press, the first line of engagement starts quite high. And from there, you get a sense of the team trying to shape what the opposition does with the ball. And it's not particularly committal. I think his teams have a good sense of when to hold and when, when to sort of trigger their runs, right? That's absolutely like the opposite of what you kind of see under Bosch is that we wait for quite a while for the opposition team to do something. And then suddenly it's just all. We just shoot at them in like what feels like it could be really good if we win the ball back. But more often than not, the teams can just kind of knock the ball over into a bank of space. And then we're compromised and we have a four on two or a
0: three on two or something like that. And that is reflected in the numbers. I was looking at the underlying numbers, and your thirteenth per xga <laughs> at the time of recording, which is pretty impressively bad. Especially when you consider, you know, you're performing worse than teams like Lens, Nice, Rhin, teams like that that you would expect Lyon to be able to to do better than. Obviously, that comes at the benefit of of having a decent expected goals for, and I think you're second in the league so far, but very much seems to be that gamble that, that Bosch wants to play, which is, well, we'll outshoot the opponent, we'll create more and better chances than we concede. But how do you feel about that aspect that Bosch is happy to leave himself fairly open at the back? I think I kind of alluded to this earlier in the pod, but I think he kind of
1: knows that he is doing that. and I don't think he wants to do that, right? I think he just, he is a fanatic in the sense that he believes very strongly in in his counter-press as a way of winning back possession and being able to basically help our goals for more than our goals against. So I think he's willing to risk that, but it is something you can kind of constantly see him try to tweak, which is the way we've kind of progressed over the season, as you mentioned earlier, from starting off the 4 going like four four one, going all sorts of different sort of things into the, the three at the back, and then now we've moved back to, to the four at the back and we're trying different kinds of, of ways of playing. Does kind of suggest that he does continue to kind of try to work out a way to yeah to improve the defense, but he's not willing to compromise at least not for more than one-off games. He's not willing to compromise his idea of this like aggressive counter press, and it's ultimately it's been his undoing at his previous clubs. I think every club except Ajax, where I think just the dominance of of his team in the league meant that he could make his team so much better at attacking without. The difference in player quality not actually mattering, right? But I mean, it was it was as big undoing at Dortmund, as fun as, as they could be. I think it was as undoing at Leverkusen as well. And it's been an issue for him here. I don't fully understand what goes on in Bosch's head in terms of that. Maybe he's achieved good results, good performances in terms of compromising that on one-off games. But the fact that he always goes back to that does suggest that I think he believes that, that there is something to unlock there, which is just... I guess, uh,
0: insight into how he is as a manager. I always think that these approaches gamble on variance. They're sort of high success, high failure, and there's not a gap really between them that you can sort of dwell in like most clubs do. It feels as though if you're going to do well, you'll do well, and if you're going to do badly, you'll do badly, but there's not really any of that Goldilocks effect where it's just perfect. Do you know what? I mean, it, it's kind of like Southampton, right,
1: <laughs> with Huddle. But it's just weird that we have a manager who's coaching big teams going for that same sort of thing where you actually want to lower variance generally as a bigger side because, you know, then your players quality and your, the quality of your system will coming together more often than not succeed far more than if there's a high variance. So, I mean, I do kind of get that sense from Bosch, but it doesn't really make sense logically given that teams he's been managing.
0: Yeah, and this is something that I think about a lot as a, as a Leeds fan right now, because I think it is, it is a reality of the Red Bull system, right? Which is you're generating chaotic game states. You're trying to generate chaos in attack and then a more static game state in defense. And I think, you know, that can work and it can be a really good way of getting an edge when you're particularly a smaller club. But I think when you're a bigger side, you're leaving yourself at the hands of the gods far too often. And yeah. over the course <laughs> of a season, you want to have a much more stable approach, right?
1: I feel like it's the sort of thing that, makes sense to do in the quarterfinals of a Champions League where you are the underdog right Mm -hmm. but not not so much when you're playing I don't know Strasbourg they've been quite good this season let's (laughs) say (laughs) St Etienne when you're playing them you don't want to leave yourself open to chance like that
0: absolutely well I think that gives us a really good grounding in where Leon are at the moment. I want to start moving into that bigger picture stuff then so talk about the the both the impact of the of the tactical approach on the players that are coming through but also the fact that the team is a talent developer and how that impacts the way that they think about yeah. tactics in particular. So I'll start off with a sort of big question on this one in terms of what do you think Leon are trying to do with their tactics in a broader sense? Do you think it's just the case, we've touched on this a little bit, but do you think it's just the case that the managers are sort of given this remit of playing, as you've said, like nominally fairly attacking, attractive football, but without any real guidelines about what that that looks like and how do you think that that then fits in with the the players that they're bringing through I suppose for me it seems as though you've got two options here one of which is you have a system which then allows you to get the most out of players who may be a a little bit deficient in terms of talent but that in this case it seems to be the opposite of that which is you have a lot of players who you want to develop particularly technical characteristics and so maybe the tactical side of things might not be as important so that's a fairly sort of broad sweeping question but I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So I think I
1: have a lot of different answers to different parts of that, so I'll try
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, it was a bad question, if anything. No,
1: no, it was a good question. It gave me lots of things I wanted to say, but just in terms of ordering them. I think one of the first things to say is just in terms of Lyon, and even just speaking with other fans and stuff, they always speak about this this attacking Lyon way, attacking football, but it very much just feels like a, a thing you say, right? And it does come through in terms of... What, we dem- what the what the fans demand from the coaches, but it doesn't seem to be something that I think Olis is overly concerned with when looking for his next coach. I think it plays a factor, but I think there are things that come before for him. For example, as, as silly as it is, I think the fact that they're French and they know the league and they can kind of speak with the players and they have some sort of sense of authority. I think those are things that Olis is attracted to in a manager, more so than then their offensive um, nature. Also, another thing that that is big for him is whether they're going to incorporate the young players that he wants them to incorporate. I think it's something that he sets out. For example, it's why I was very surprised that Shirky wasn't actually the centerpiece of Bosch's reign here, because not only was he perfectly primed to kind of, he's 18 and very, very good already, to kind of be at the centerpiece, but it also must have been something that Olis would have demanded off the bat. And I think maybe that's something... Juninho kind of had some influence when that kind of brings me back to the fact that Guiri didn't really play under Rudy Garcia or Silvino I think he was still injured under Silvino but it might have been something that Juninho had had an impact on but in general coaches playing our young players has been a massive thing it's also something Bosch isn't afraid of the reason that he hasn't been playing Shirky is because Shirky doesn't press and isn't good at pressing I think he he's shown improvement over it but he he's not a player who's ever had to try press before and then Bosch's whole system was like you need to actually try win this ball back up high and the fact he wouldn't do that is why despite his talent he was getting dropped for still talented footballers and guys like Shakira, I guess so yeah that was a long-winded way of saying that I don't think attacking football is this like priority in the way that it is at like Barcelona for example I do still think it's an expectation that gets put there but I don't think there's a tactical thing at all I don't think Ole's considers the tactical acumen of, of his candidates like that. I don't think it comes into his thinking about whether they're tactical or not. I think he just sees a good coach as a as a good coach, right? And I think experience is obviously something that he believes in, it holds a lot of weight. So I think that that is the first part to answer your question.
0: One of the things that I've picked up on in watching a lot more youth football recently is that there just there not a tactical astuteness there in youth football that you obviously have in senior football. And I suppose with Leon wanting to play youth players, that sort of presupposes that what you're going to be doing then is generating a style of play which is very simple tactically, but will allow these players to develop technically at maybe the expense of tactical innovation. And I suppose there there comes a sort of uncomfortable jarring, right, between what maybe the fans of the club expect in terms of Lyon moving up and performing at the highest levels in Europe with Aula's Desire for this youth development to take place. So, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, to what extent should the fans be disappointed? Because the, when you are a feeder club, that development takes priority over quote unquote success, right?
1: So, I think one thing is that development of youth players is a big source of pride for Lyon fans. I think it, it is also just the nature of. French football being a bit of a feeder, Lyon being a bit of a feeder club, there's a lot of pride in, in, in seeing guys like Benzema being the best striker in the world at the moment, right? And there's a lot of demand on playing the young players. I mean, Lyon fans will believe that the guy coming through is probably better than the guy they just signed from, Nantes in central midfield or whatever, right? They'll think the next guy coming through. I mean, Alarouche has a lot of hype there's going to be demand that he's playing next season, pretty much. There's a lot of anger that Shirky hasn't been playing this season. That is just a sort of a general expectation of the fans. What it is, is basically there's an expectation of winning and general expectation of attacking football along with playing the youth. I think if Rudy Garcia, for example, had played the youth, even though his football was a bit boring, the fans would have been a lot happier. But it was the fact that it was boring football. That was winning enough, I guess. It wasn't really boring football without the youth players coming through that was the problem in terms of the tactical usage I don't think the fans have a specific and I could be wrong right as a like an Anglo fan of a French club I I miss out on a lot right but my general the impression I get is that it's not this be all and end all although there was a lot of excitement when we brought in someone like Bosch because he's a bit more tactical and because like I've said earlier the league is having the sort of tactical enlightenment that it hasn't before but I think from a level of the club, it has this sort of idea that it wants to be this sort of Ajax or it's Barcelona. Its youth development is very inspired by that. What it it, it does a number of things that kind of emulate La Masia and Ajax's youth academies, right? For example, just in terms of the coaching and the emphasis placed on like technical ability, which is why we produce these technically extraordinary players. I mean, that come through. We have a very very high level for pretty much all of them, right? There's also the the sort of things that we have in terms of the emphasis we place is one of the things that the head of Academy, Jean-Francois Villouy, the guy that I was trying to say earlier, right? (laughs) One one of the things that he has is that individual players that are good enough will go up a year from young as well. And this is something that both Shirky and Guiri have both had and it's his N plus one, so year plus one sort of strategy. And I think that just getting good players that are technically good enough just playing one level high of technique will just improve them more. There's also the scouts themselves are actually told to go look for players that they think can play in an attacking system. And that I think that's a normal thing that happens with many clubs' philosophies. But it obviously does inform us of what the club believes its philosophy is. And then there's also that, that general model of basically the women's team, the men's team and the junior teams all play at the same grounds. And there's supposed to be this... I don't think it's ever really come through. But that's the idea that they've gone for is that there's this tactical oversight that goes from the top, both from the men to the women's to the reserves. I don't think it's ever actually happened, but it does tell us what the club kind of thinks it's trying to do. Right. And I do think it comes through more in the the coaching and the development of the players into these technical, very technical players than necessarily, you know, these players that have an idea of like total football and making third man runs and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting hearing you saying that there is a priority given to a certain type of players. And I'm kind of interested in the the impact you think that has on the tactical reality of Lyon. And when you're bringing in a, a manager and you're basically saying, we want to play attacking football, we've got all of this youth talent that needs to be played. And these youth players are are all very technical players. Doesn't that cause problems at some point? It's great having a whole swath of really technical players available, but you need to have some water carriers in teams as well, right? Absolutely.
1: And I think this has perhaps been a problem in the past. We have had sort of water carriers. In terms of Lucas Tassar, I think one of the things is that in terms of defensive nose and stuff, he added a lot to the team. But there was also that sense that he didn't really have the technical level compared to the other players, that it, it was a bit jarring in terms of one of the things Leon does very well is because they have these technical... And, and for whatever like tactical discipline that they may lack very intelligent players that you get very good associative play. And I think that is one of the strong things that you see throughout. I think it's it's a reason for example Genesio was able to have such strong attacking player because the players that yeah it was very much a let baller's ball sort of philosophy of having our linking with Fakir. These are players that are very good in tight spaces, very good at making essentially what other managers would try to do through tactics, they can do through just having two intelligent players that understand and have played a long time alongside each other. So I think it becomes an issue when obviously there's also pressure on managers to, ha- to play a lot of the youth players, right? It becomes sort of an issue where if you have players who kind of don't match in that technical level with the sort of attacking football that they want to play, I don't think it's necessarily something that should be a problem. But I think when you also add in the fact that Lyon haven't been hiring particularly tactical guys who, who know how to to kind of mask weaknesses and strengths of different players in a team, it's been an issue, right? Which I think is, is what we saw a lot in the Genesio. Actually, I speak about him a lot, but he was also with us for five or so years. So, <laughs> but yeah, I think that makes sense to me.
0: Just one final question before we ask a concluding question, but just about Liga in general and the impact that Leon being in Liga is going to have on. On the players themselves. And you mentioned to me that particularly the off-ball side of things is a potential weakness for, for Lyon players. And I suspect there's a few things that go into that. You've already talked about the level of technicality that a lot of these players have when you're a technical player, I suspect you probably get away with not being able to press as much or as well, as you've talked about Shirky already, but... Yeah, well, he, he, he hasn't been getting away with it, that sort of... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I think I think one of the things is why I'm not very convinced that there is, first of all, when you say, when you get the idea that there is the sort of tactical oversight from the first team, but I'm not very convinced by our predecessing managers having any real tactical acumen. I think what has kind of gone down is that you get very, very well-trained players in a technical sense. And I think, obviously, this is inspired by, like, the Barca and Ajax sort of models, which you get very good technical players that can kind of connect and stuff. But I don't think you get that sort of tactical learning from a young age that means that players have a good sense of, like, what space to attack. I think, which is also a problem, is that pretty much all Lyon's attacking players over the years have been attracted to the ball. I mean, even, I mean, Guiri is a good example. I think... He, he was always very, very attracted to the ball. And you've seen over Nice, he's slowly starting to get better and better off-ball. And obviously, I think that's a natural thing for players to develop, right? Especially players as good as him at youth level. They tend to develop their off-ball a bit later. But I think it does fit in with what we keep seeing with Lyon players. Another one is Lacazette. I think the fact that he he was under Genesio through a lot of his sort of... His formative years, he never really developed a strong off-ball sense. I mean, his, his whole thing at his peak was being able to receive in tight spaces and manufacture a little bit of space to shoot, right? I think it has been a problem coming through. The one player that I can kind of say that hasn't had this issue is, I think, Kakare. But even in a in possession sense, his off-ball movement isn't, isn't fantastic. And I think he's a very intelligent player. You can kind of see by how he leads the press from kind of the second line or how he knows when to trigger the press. You can kind of see he understands when and when not to do things. But when it comes to sort of an in-possession thing, he's a little bit more clueless, which has kind of been the issue, right? Anthony Martial is another one. So I think it, it has been something that has kind of hindered hindered us. And I think it's something that potentially does hinder the development
0: of the players as good as they are technically. To maybe follow on from that, you talked about the evolution of, of tactics within Ligue 1, which suggests that you know clubs are going to be getting smarter, managers are going to become more aware of, of tactical ideas. And I wonder how you think that actually impacts Leon, because I suppose there's an extent to which you can get away with playing bog-standard football with elite young players coming through and get away with it, quote-unquote, but surely that becomes harder when teams are able to find your weaknesses, exploit those weaknesses, and you can't just get away with moments, as it were.
1: I agree with that completely. I think this is partly also why I fear for Lyon a little bit, especially since our sort of modernising project has got off to a very rough start. I'm worried that all this is kind of going to go back into a shell and the next guy we hire is going to be like a Laurent Blanc. Maybe if we're lucky, Julian Stefan or something, right? I'm kind of worried because I think the way the French league is moving not only from an executive level a, a teams catching up and surpassing Lyon and have been for the past few years but also now on a tactical level teams with lower player quality can kind of make up those diff- obviously player quality I think is always going to be a big differentiator but when you can kind of if we're talking about variants earlier having good tactics kind of makes that a little bit more the variance, makes a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm losing my sense of what variance is, but it kind of makes it a little bit more easy for them to contest with us, right? And I think that is going to be a problem going forwards if we don't keep going with trying to actually modernize as a club. I think it's been an issue. We've seen it as executive level. The club is, has fallen off quite badly in terms of our ability to sell players at the right time. And our ability to recruit has kind of taken a bit of a hit. We had Janina, thankfully, for for Goumerech and, and Paqueta. But I mean, even Favre, as good a player as he is, wasn't the right profile that we needed. I mean, just general decisions that Olis has made. We are kind of struggling both now off the pitch, at board level, and now on the pitch, I think, I fear. One other thing I wanted to say, and I think you can fit this in, is that one thing I do really like about Bosch, as flawed as he is, is that I do think the players are improving tactically under him. Especially, I mean, as hard as it's been for Shirky, and maybe he would have benefited more from playing, but I think the fact that he is getting a better sense, the final Rangers game in the, in the group stages was a good sort of early sign of him getting a little bit more awake out of possession of knowing winter press. I think these are sort of things that maybe Lyon players in the past didn't actually have that sort of at age 18, 19, that sort of tactical education. And what that also kind of makes me think is that Bosch has very much got principles of an Ajax sort of Barca sort of approach. But now he's kind of, he adds a sort of like tactical demand, right? And if there is this oversight that this supposedly is at academy level, well, at the training grounds down to academy level, it does kind of fill you with a bit of hope that the younger players, maybe like Alarouche, for example, will be getting a tactical education a bit earlier now and kind of
0: come into the team and have a better sense of being able to do what Bosch wants them to do. So one final question then, just the question that we started this podcast off with, what impact does Lyon's youth development have on their overall tactical approach?
1: So I think it kind of informs the tactical approach that we have. I can't really say what started first, but I imagine Lyon were probably back in the 70s or something, a good attacking side. And then they decided they were a good attacking side. They had decided they were going to recruit good attacking players. But I think the fact that the academy is probably the best part of, of Lyon and the most functional part of the club alongside OL Feminine, the fact that the academy has stuck to that and managed to to achieve such good results in in producing these technically very, very accomplished footballers. And just also just generally, apart from being technically good, they're just high level footballers, right? I think that has been something that kind of has kept Lyon aiming for a tactical approach of sorts from its managers. But even though the managers don't give them that, there is a still, it remains like a sort of a possession football just by virtue of having a lot of good players that can play in possession and link up in and around the box.
0: Well, Alex, I've had an absolutely fascinating hour with you. I've taken up a lot of your time. Before we finish, I should just say we're moving from one Dutch manager to another Dutch manager in Eric Ten Haag, who's obviously been lined up for the Manchester United job. So the next episode will be with Eric Elias on Eric Ten Haag, talking about some of the ideas that he has developed through his career and what that might look like at Manchester United. Alex, What's the best way for our listeners to find what you're putting out? I
1: am planning to start putting out more actual football content now that university is getting a bit more manageable. So yeah, I guess just follow Alex FRCO on Twitter.
0: Yeah, and then we'll see what I put out. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast about tactics. I'm John McKenzie. If you like our artwork, then do check out Frankie Mitchell's portfolio over on her Twitter account at MadeByFrankie. Her work is incredible and she's often available for commissions. so do check that out. And then this music, written and recorded by my good friend Joe Hill and his North Ark Septet. You can find out more about them and listen to the music at www.joehillmusic.bandcamp.com. See you next week.